0: i one of them. And a big book if you need
1: it. Okay. My name is Bill, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> My drink date is January third, nineteen seventy. I got sober in New York. I always give the numbers right in the front. Hi. Kid's saying hello to me over here. Hi. Are we done now? Okay. Take two. My name's Bill. I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) Louder. That reminds me. Uh, My drink date is January 3rd, 1970. I got sober in New York. Uh, I started drinking at the age of 10. Uh, I was 23 when I came into my first meeting. I'm 49, I'm 26 years, one month, 26 years, one month, (laughs) 7 hours, 15 minutes. (laughs) Me. I hear that time isn't important, I don't believe that. There's not enough people with the time in this fellowship to pass it on, so time is very important. Thanks for coming across and celebrating with us, Jack. Uh, Frank. I call you Jack because I have a Brennan in my life who died in 1986 who was sober a long time. I took my first drink in a church. Uh, It's great to be back in them sober. (laughs) I'm a Roman Catholic. I'm Irish. I've passed through the Bronx often. I was uh, ready to serve a Roman Catholic funeral, uh, a solemn high mass, five altar boys. I was with the four cool guys from the third grade, uh, seventh grade. I was in the third grade, and uh, i just turned ten, and I'd learned my Latin. And uh, my job was to stand in the center aisle with the coffin, with a candle, and not spill any wax on the mahogany. And just before the mass started, A decanter of wine was passed around and I took a drink, maybe about a a five ounce soda pop guzzle, and it went down and it lit the pilot light and I got all warm, high up, and my mask got warm and it went around this little circle again and I took another five or six ounce guzzle, maybe ten ounces altogether. And uh, several things happened around the first drink. Uh, Number one, I was in a church and because uh, I drank during the formative years and was altered by alcohol, I had a very unreal, warped outlook on God and religion and priests and nuns. Uh, I'm a birth defect child. I'm a cleft palate child. Usually cleft palates don't talk too well. I've been gifted with a very good speech result, Uh, but I I really didn't look too good at that age. Uh, I grew up an ugly duckling in my grammar school and kids are cruel, and they picked on me, and called me names, and beat me up, and all the stuff that goes along with this. And uh, I was short. Uh, I didn't grow too much until I was in the sixth grade. I was a little munchkin. Uh, and uh, I couldn't talk too well. So I looked differently, I sounded differently, and I was short. And those things vibrated around inside my head until this drink, and it was like somebody bulked erased my brain, and those things did not bother me anymore. The other thing that happened is I began to feel real important, superior, uh, better than these cool guys who would probably beat me up after Mass. Uh, this deceased person had given a lot of money to the Archdiocese, so the Cardinal, Cardinal Spellman, was there with his people. Uh, on the altar I felt more important than him. And my uncle, the Monsignor, was his personal secretary. personal secretary dealt with the insurance side of the uh, Archdiocese of New York. So uh, I'm very Catholic. Uh, I have a sister who's a nun, and she joined the Order of Nuns who taught me, which I'll go into later in the ninth step. I began to feel more important than this guy in the box in the aisle. And it was his big special day. I remember probably within three or four days of this incident thinking that if I just have a little of this stuff all the time, I'll probably be able to make it. It seemed like the missing ingredient in the chemistry formula. It seemed like the x-factor in the uh, addition formula that made me whole. Uh, I've heard it expressed many different ways. I also believe that I have the requirement that I hear talked about a lot at meetings uh, for being an alcoholic. I had an instant adverse reaction to my first drink. It went down and it changed me. It gave me relief. And right away I was looking forward to the bottle coming all the way around the circle again for the third time, but the bell rang and we had to go out on the altar. Uh, I began to really become a devout Catholic. I was in church all the time, (laughs) not to pray, I lived as close from here to Jerry from the uh, sacristy of the church our house is right across the street so uh, it was easy for me to get up and run in and you know have a little uh, cocktail uh, I began to serve 6 a.m. mass every day a lot of Catholics here alright uh, I really did not did not get in trouble with drinking uh, until I was about oh 13, I came home Sunday. Sunday is a special day. You're allowed to serve three masses on Sunday. So I fulfilled my quota of masses, and the 11 o'clock mass was a solemn high mass for me. And I went home and kissed my mother hello, and she accused me of drinking. I denied it. I'm an alcoholic. That's what we do. And she told me that she could taste the uh, wine on my breath and that I should go across the street and resign from the Altar boy Society. No son of hers and the guilt things that go along with that type of discussion. So I went up and got my surpluses and went across the street and sought out a drunk priest. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been two weeks since my last confession. Uh, I drink the altar wine. And he said, Aah. I really never told any about that until I sponsored a priest for about a year. <laughs> he told me he did too, this priest that I went to confession to. and There was no absolution, there was no contrition, the confession was over, it didn't seem like there was need for confession. So uh, he began to say the 6 a.m. Mass for the same reason that I served the 6 a.m. Mass and we would get there earlier and earlier. Whoever was there first got to drink before Mass. A great power of example, this priest. He uh, died a very, very slow, painful, uh, medical alcoholic death. Uh, They took his limbs off one at a time, uh, pieces of his limbs. He was in and out of hospitals for about six years. Drinking was never mentioned. Great power of example for me. Uh, He was the first alcoholic that I knew. Uh, Now now we'll zoom ahead to the last drink because the rest of it is just drinking. Uh, And this is Alcoholics Anonymous and most of you drink and know about this. Uh, And some of you here had a drug problem and uh, are addicted to something. I. My story is just alcohol. I'm grateful for that. I, I did not uh, get addicted to drugs. I have one drug experience that I can share with you so you can uh, identify. Um, in case you can't identify with all the drinking, you know, you might be able to, might be able to identify with the, uh, the drug side. Uh, anything that you can identify with to keep you here. That's the key. You got here. Anything to keep you here. That's the key. Uh, my father is a physician, a doctor, a medical doctor, and I grew up in my house uh, with a closet, uh, knee-deep, full of drugs, because my father got samples, usually 10 or 15, three days a week, and, it, and my house was full of drugs, and I never tried any, and I had, he, they had put the fear of God in me about drugs, don't ever take drugs, they were so grateful that I was drinking. Because they knew about drinking. My father's father was a periodic alcoholic, and uh, my father's mother died uh, withdrawing from Paragoric, which uh, in the 20s and 30s is what they gave the female during her time of the month, which is a mixture of alcohol and codeine, and you were supposed to nurse a bottle through the three-day or four-day cycle that the, the woman goes through. She was drinking ten bottles a day, and uh, uh, she died during withdrawal, and uh, she died young. And my mother's uh, father was one of these country club guys who drank around the club and, and um, a lawyer and he never had any money. And he tried to look like he had money and uh, he was uh, drinking and drunk and in, in, in trouble a lot. So uh, my parents knew about alcoholism and drinking, because uh, when I came along and started uh, tripping and throwing up and uh, having trouble finding the bathroom... Uh, I did not get validated. They went right into their old pain in their own movies about their parents, which which is a a problem that was going on in my household. Uh, They really didn't understand my drinking. They complained a lot about it, but they did not understand it. Uh, So uh, I'm falling down a lot. Uh, I'm an entertainer. Uh, I, I, I perform on stage. I'm a DJ. And I begin to fall down because I was drinking so much. And then an era began where I couldn't get back up after falling down, and people thought it was part of the act, and uh, truly it wasn't. I was just too drunk to get up. And this uh, drug-dealing friend of mine uh, suggested that I get off this alcohol and take some drugs, you know, so I could uh, function at least. And uh, he said he would come right over, and he brought over a little piece of hash. This is uh, the middle of 1969, about the size of a a booger, you know. (laughs) Drug addicts are over here. <laughs> hey, bugger, man.
0: Uh,
1: and he put it in this little pipe, and uh, he took some, and I took some, and he t- took some, and I took some, and I really wasn't stoned. I wanted to know what this feeling was, and, and I told him I wasn't stoned, and he said, well, well, we'll drive down to the club, and you'll hear a band, and you'll know you're really stoned. So we're driving along. I'm driving, and My van, and he's in the uh, passenger seat, and the light turned red, so I stopped, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he says, you know, in that drug talk, he said, you're doing real good, you're doing fine, there's no police around, it's real good, we're about 200 feet from the light, so just... So let's just ease off that break, and roll closer to the light. That's all I got for the drug addicts, that's the only experience I got. So I've complained in beginners meetings where drugs is talked about a lot that, uh, you know, uh, uh, I I really couldn't be a drug addict, and they told me that I just was not persistent. (laughs) But you see, that high, that wide awake high, everything's on 10, everything's bright, clear, you can hear very wide and you can hear very long, and you can hear people breathing in the back, it's really alert city. No, I, 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 that's not me. I know. I, I'm drink, drunk, puke, fall down, blackout, wake up tomorrow. That's what I like. <laughs> so I didn't like the, the drug high, and I'm very grateful for that. Now we're, we're done with that. Uh, I drank myself out of two very good radio jobs, uh, and I uh, got fired from the second job. And figured that the show business people were making me drink, so I was going to stop drinking. And to do that, I would uh, quit all my alliances with show business and stay in bed for two days and not drink and uh, recover. Because I figured that people in in show business, these derelict people, were making me drink badly. So if I would stop being with them, I wouldn't drink. And so I stopped drinking and I went uh, about 20 days. And uh, on the fifth day, I opened a newspaper, and there was a New York Telephone Company hiring ad, double wide, and a phone number. And I called him. I said, what are the requirements? He says, if you're breathing, you're hired. So I went, and I got hired, and I started working as a dried-up drunk, uh, about eight days dry, and I picked up a drink on the 20th day. But in that 12-day window, I worked. I did my job. I ran in new lines. That was my job. Uh, and I looked around this this building this, this floor that I was on and I noticed that I was the only one working and I went to one of the old dogs which is what I've learned to do in life and which is probably what saved my life in AA uh, hanging out with the old dogs and uh, I said what's the deal with the uh, nobody's uh, working he said uh, we don't answer a ringing phone because if you answer a ringing phone you have to go work And then I watched this, and uh, the phone would ring, and a foreman would answer the phone, and he'd say, Al's up on a pole on Green Street, and he'd put the headset on the hook, and nobody would touch it. And Al would be on the pole all day until the end of the workday, and then he would put in for overtime, and and we'd watch this. Al would have to go home and call in the morning. We did not work, but what I started to do was to have fun at the phone company. I would uh, listen in to your phone conversations. <laughs> you know that little click you hear when you're on the phone. We had all the weird people in the in my building marked uh, the the convent and the the rectories and the hookers and the transvestites and uh, we had all the special phone numbers marked and uh, we would listen in to the cool people. <laughs> and uh, there was a machine. Uh, 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 a meter machine where you could look out and see how many phones were on the line. Well, I didn't use it for that. I, I would connect two people up who never should be talking to each other.
0: <laughs>
1: like a hooker and a priest. And you could ring both their phones. So I ring both their phones and listen. And they would, they both thought they were being called and they would have this dialogue back and forth and one would figure out who the other one, "Ah!" and they'd hang up. (laughs) Do this all day. Uh, Cool stuff. I did not work. I did cool stuff. Very important because it leads me up into my uh, 12 step call. Uh, I had a Ford New Year's Eve party, uh, 1969, 1970. Um, I got on a drunk that started a couple days before Christmas, my last drunk. My worst drunk, uh, I was sitting in a room, drinking around the clock, uh, hoping to die. I had a death wish. Uh, I, I really didn't define it as suicide, uh, but uh, truly it was a death wish. Uh, truly I was drinking to kill myself. I figured if I just drank enough of this stuff, I would go to the next stop that we go to on this journey and we uh, do whatever we do there. And I kept waking up. I kept coming too. And uh, a lot of strange things happened uh, over that weekend. Uh, I had stopped eating about eight months before this uh, time frame, Uh, I really was not eating. Uh, So I didn't have any pots and pans or food or plates or forks or any food works, if you will. And uh, my cabinets over my kitchen sink were empty, so I put my stereo in those cabinets over the sink. And these cabinets are connected to the main wall that ran the length of this this building that I lived in. And uh, Led Zeppelin II was new, and my copy skipped for about ten days. days of that wait 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 ten hours of that This is how an altar boy properly rings the bell. First time I've ever done that sober. Uh, The people in my building thought I was dead. So somebody came down and read my name off the door and called all of the people with my name in the phone book and uh, they got in touch with my father, my father came over with uh, some people, and they broke in, and they took me back to my father's house. And uh, the Irish way is they keep you awake for 24 hours, walk you around a lot, and uh, then they let you sleep for 24 hours. And uh, I woke up a couple of times during that second day hallucinating. I didn't see animals or elephants or uh, rodents or snakes. I saw windshield wipers on all the windows, and I could hear them, auto motor. The, the, the big windows would go real slow, and the little windows would go fast. My watch had one, my television had one. <laughs> and I didn't tell anybody about them until I was over about seven years. <laughs> uh, and that lasted for about a week. And uh, then the third day, my father took me back to my apartment and told me I was on my own because the stipulation for me to not be in his house was because I was drunk all the time. So I went back to work, and they had a meeting of all of the uh, management, three or four levels of management and the big district guy, and uh, they asked me that question, you know, uh, where have you been for two weeks? And I told them exactly what I had been doing. I said, I've been drunk for two weeks. I've been sitting on my floor uh, with about 20 quarts of booze, and uh, I didn't finish everything. The alcohol dream. I had more than I could drink. And uh, is there any place for drunks? And there's big fourth liner said, no, there's no place for drunks. You're on Final Warning, which uh, those of you who are familiar with Step Shop, Union Shop, it, uh, it takes a couple of years to get to Final Warning. And I had been with the company five and a half weeks. <laughs> so I was on Final Warning and they defined Final Warning for me. If I did anything wrong or if I drank, I would be fired. Coming out of that meeting, I met Tipsy, Tipsy um, was very obese. Tipsy weighed about 500 pounds. Tipsy was about five foot, everything, around, (laughs) back to front, tall. And he had the laboring, obese uh, breathing that comes with drunkenness. He was drunk at ten after eight in the morning. Uh, When he was not drinking, if you looked at the belt around his uh, girth, it would be pretty level. But if if he was drinking, it would tilt like this and (laughs) he couldn't talk because it's all crushing down his chest and he talk like this and he said to me that he was my union delegate and he could protect my job if I tried to do something about my drinking well it took him a half hour to say that sentence I said it quick because you know we only have a certain amount of time and he gave me a number, George, 212 phone number, uh, this is in Westchester County, uh, and he said, uh, George knows about drinking, call George. So I went in to my foreman and I, I said, uh, Tipsy says I should call George. And he goes, yeah, we know, go call George. So I got my ladder, which is on wheels, and it, it's alongside frames are about, about as high as these uh, these uh, cross beams here. And you put cones around your ladder, like the cones that move you in the lanes on the on the parkways and the throughways. And, uh, When you go up on the ladder, people on the floor know you're up there, so they don't take the ladder while you're on it. And I'm up there, and I dial a number, and uh, the phone rings once, and a secretary voice says, Is this Bill? Yes. I was very good at yes and no. That was about it. Uh, I had broken thinking. If you said something to me, I would not hear you. It would go in. I would have to repeat it to myself inside. It would go up on the screen that's inside and I would read the screen to myself, then I would know what you said. I had very slow thinking uh, at the end of my drinking. And uh, uh, George says, are you on a ladder? (laughs) Yes. Do you have your cones around your ladder? Looking for cameras. Yes, I have five cones Three on the outside One in front One in back Code Five cones He goes, good Because ten years ago I was on my ladder In that building With my cones around the ladder And I was calling AA Because I had punched My foreman In McCann's Across the street And my foreman Was pressing charges And there was police At the bottom of the ladder Waiting for me To finish making my And he went into His story That lasted about uh, Forty minutes And Uh didn't breathe, didn't take any breaths, just right through. He was I guess he was excited that, that uh, somebody called. But he's um, hes the type of alcoholic that I try to be like. He volunteered his anonymity and his alcoholism and put his, his job on the line to help people within the company. And he was the only alcoholic in the phone company that had done that. So I'm eternally grateful to George. And uh, George talked about blackouts I knew I was having them, uh, once I heard George talk about his, uh, he talked about the fear of running out of alcohol, I had that fear too, the, the fear of people finding out how I lived and how I thought. Uh, he, uh, he got me talking about the cool telephone company stuff, about the listening in and blowing up phones and stuff, and I'm revealing to him my coolest, bestest stuff, And in the middle of me talking about uh, hooking the people together and ringing both the phones, he stopped me and he said, that's nothing. I lost a telephone pole. This guy's cooler than me. He says, yeah, uh, I lost a 65-foot telephone pole, a cable well, and a cherry picker. 105 feet of western electric equipment Never recovered Probably in a river somewhere I just figured I gotta do what this guy tells me He's cooler than me He knows, I don't So uh, George said he would uh, call around And uh, he seemed to think that he knew a couple of people And he might be able to find some people And get me into AA So George started to make phone calls And um, Saturday morning Old Ed called me at 7 a.m. And Ed is kind of deaf. And I won't yell, so you don't have to ride. He asked me three questions. He said, Is this Bill? Yes. <laughs> Are you having a problem with drinking? Never heard it put that way. New sentence for me. Problem with drinking. He yeah, said it up in the screen, thinking, of the problem with drinking. Yes. He said, can you meet me at the Sherwood Diner in an hour? I said, yes. He hung up. Now, I didn't know what an alcoholic looked like, and uh, when I got to this...
0: <laughs> when I got to this
1: diner, it was packed, because Saturday morning hunters get their coffee before they go hunt, and I, we didn't make up any Mission Impossible uh, scheme where we would know each other. I'll sit in the phone booth And I'll have a red hat on And I'll have an umbrella When you come in You'll look at your watch And I'll open my umbrella And you'll know it's me None of that And I'm trying to figure out How I'm going to know This guy uh, Ed And I walk in the front door Packed And I hear
0: Hey! Over here!
1: over and I said, Dad, how did you know? He said, sit down. <laughs> well, I knew sit down was not the answer to how do you know. <laughs> so I sat down. And he told me his story and he talked all about his drinking and uh, hiding stuff from the wife and uh, running out Uh, arrests and uh, all sorts of terrible things. Uh, uh, Ed was 70 and sober 23, 24 years. At that time he died sober in 1985, well over 40 years. And he had a new guy with him, Terry. I was Terry's first 12-step call. Terry had five months. And Terry had a long skinny neck and a big Adam's apple and a brush cut. I hadn't seen a brush cut in a long time. And he smoked cigarettes and he held the cigarette between these two fingers and he looked around a while, and he said... He had that weird five-month look, you know? You know how people look when they have five months, right? And, and, and Terry was too freaked out to drive. He was still pretty... Upset, I guess is the word. So I would drive Terry to my first meeting. And Terry brought me into my first meeting and he introduced me to Vinny. Now, Vinny is Sicilian. Vinny smoked cigars about as big as this. He had a pinky ring. And he would poke me with the cigar pinky ring. The cigar and the pinky ring on the same hand. He would poke me like punctuation, you know, to make his points, you know, commas. And and he got right up in my face in the ashes here, you know. And it probably didn't sound this way, and he probably didn't say it this way, but what I heard was,
0: You're not going to drink.
1: This is the old school. <laughs> you won't hear this at rehabs, I'm sorry. <laughs> only sharing, only sharing. I came in before beginners meetings. I became uh, active in AA before 90 meetings in 90 days. The front row was my rehab. Uh, the next sentence that Vinnie said to me in the loving, caring way that we all are concerned about our newcomers if they seem to not get along where they wind up and they drink and they leave and they go to another group you might be friendly to them knowing that they've been to other places. He said in that same gentle tone If you ever drink I'll find out about it. Whenever I talk about Vinny, I start to sweat at the top of my... (laughs) You know that nervous sweat where your hiney meets the top of your leg right in there? (laughs) Vinny's still alive. And that's the toughest Vinny ever was with me. Uh, After that confrontation, which I thought, you know, I knew about uh, the underworld and uh, Conflict and not doing the right thing. I knew about those things because I worked for some uh, uh, people who were uh, in that line of work, and uh, I sponsor a couple of them today, and They've explained shut up Jerry uh, They've explained to me that they're very uh, they're very surprised that I'm still alive. Uh, I Was in a fog I was very mocus and Then uh, he said come on first meeting took me back to the coffee urn, now I had only seen them in diners, I never worked one. He took the cup and he put it under the spout and he put the coffee in and he says, first you take the milk and you put the milk in and you put the first sugar in and you get the coffee going and once you get it all going, then you put the second sugar in. You got it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Got it. He says, you think you can remember that? Yup. That's how I like my coffee. And every once in a while I'll give you the signal, uh, I'm an altar boy, I know how to get the signal, and uh, when I give you the signal, you come back and you do that, do you, do you think you can do that? And really it was my first connection to really moving out and trying something, and I thought about it and I figured, yeah, I can do that, and that really began my recovery. Two weeks later, yeah, we went everywhere, uh, uh, we met in a mailbox near where I lived, Vinnie picked a mailbox for me to find, it was close to my door. And uh, my assignment was to be at the mailbox at 7 o'clock. The meeting started at 9. Uh, if it, they were road meetings, it would be earlier. We went everywhere to meetings. Long rides. Uh, Two-hour rides. One way. Uphill. Um, that's my father coming out. Uh, when I got in the car, I would ride behind Vinny. Vinny had a mirror that you use for traffic. Rearview mirror. He did not use the mirror for traffic. The mirror was on me And he kept maintained eye contact He'd be driving He'd he'd be, you know, looking I'd get in the car and say Where are we going tonight? He'd say Shut up (laughs) How far away is it? Not important When are we going to be home? Tomorrow (laughs) And I'd ask Four or five other questions You know, nervous Bar questions, really And, uh I realized that uh, there was no conversation going on, so I stopped talking, and then he would quiz me, you know, beginner stuff, good beginner stuff, I don't know whether it still goes on, but the beginner stuff is food, you know, what did you eat for breakfast, and uh, how much of it did you eat, and how many cups of coffee have you had, and what did you have for lunch, and he was very into food, and very into uh, rest, and uh, liquids, then uh, he was into liquids, and uh, not alcohol, I mean, you know, other liquids. Uh, he was very big on cutting down on the coffee and uh, that would be the, the quiz and then coming home I would be quizzed about the speakers at the meetings uh, and he would try to figure out what I could remember which really wasn't too much because I was I was taught to listen to the end of the stories because I was at the end of my story and eventually listening long enough I was able to remember my beginning. Uh, about the middle of the third week, Al was sitting in my seat, Vinnie signed me my seat everywhere I went. And uh, I went right over to Vinny and I said to Vinnie, uh, uh, Vinny, somebody's sitting in my seat. And uh, he said, that's Al. He's going to sit in your seat tonight. Well, where do I sit? You're going to sit in my seat. Oh, well, that's okay. So uh, I was getting to sit in Vinny's seat and Vinny sat next to me. So Vinnie leans across me and introduced me to Al. Al's at his first meeting. Yeah, He says, well, you were just at your first meeting a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and he said, well, I said, come on now. Now, you see, this is a coffee urn, and you put the coffee in the thing, and you put the thing in, and you second sugar, and you get it going, then you put the second sugar in and let it filter down. Now, that's how Vinny likes his coffee and I don't know what this has to do with drinking or AA or God or anything but since I've been getting Vinny's coffee this way I haven't had a drink (laughs) so there might be something to this coffee thing (laughs) Uh, Al's got 25 years somewhere uh, because when I wasn't there Al got Vinny's coffee Uh, Vinny drank after a couple of years and uh, I'm couple years ahead of Vinny now and, and we talk probably once or twice a year. Uh I've been through the steps once every 5 years. I made a deal to do that with a with the people early on who took me to meetings. There was there was Vinny, there was Ed, screaming Ed. Uh, there was another George, a different George than the one I spoke to at the phone company, uh, Roofer Bob and Terry. Those are the main players in my, in my recovery. And um the second night, I, was, I met the, the old uh, grand dame of our area, and she assigned me a sponsor, Al, another different Al, and uh, Al really was a waving sponsor. I would come into the meeting, I would look for Al, and I would wave an Al, and if wa- a waving came back, I was okay. And I never talked to Al, I never called Al, it was just like waving Al. Uh, <laughs> But I would talk to Vinnie and I would talk to Bob about everything and uh, uh, I really never paid any attention to a sponsor in the beginning, I just went to a lot of meetings. We went to about four meetings a week and we were in AA all the time and uh, when I got out, I moved out here uh, summer of 94 and I got a sponsor out here and he took me through the steps for my 25th year, the f- five year frame. And uh, a whole new dynamic has opened up in in my life, so I'm going to share some of the things that uh, I got from that. Um, We started uh, uh, on the third step. I was told to get on my knees and uh, uh, say the uh, third step prayer slowly and earnestly and mean it and uh, say it quietly and uh, approach God with the idea that I was getting ready to do my fourth step. And I was to do that for two weeks, and I did that for two weeks. And I called him, and I said the two weeks are up because he has a lot of guys. I had my check-in time at 10.30 every night. And um, the only thing this man gave me when I asked him to be my sponsor was, he says, I'm only going to give you one perk. I respect a man with the time that you have to come to a man with 14 years to learn more about sobriety. And that's it. That's all you're getting. The rest is work. So uh, I... It's an hour and 20-minute drive to his house each way. And so I I went down, prepared to get my fourth step instructions. And uh, we talked about how I had done the fourth step in the past. And I had always written an autobiography. That's very big in the East. You write everything out longhand. And uh, he said, so uh, you've never done the columns out of the book. I said, "Uh, uh, no. (laughs) So he says, well, we're going to do it like it is in the book and uh, four things are so the resentment list with the columns and then the fear list and then the sexual inventory and then the, the paragraph about the ideal relationship and uh, either you'll do this and we'll talk when you're done or I'll never talk to you again you call me when you're done so five days later I was done I did a list a day I prayed before I prayed after uh... call them he said, uh, why don't you come down tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, and I was there at 8 o'clock with my, my paperwork, and uh, we would do our work in his garage, between the cars, and uh, I gave him my fourth step, and he says, what's that? I said, my fourth step. He goes, I don't get that. I go, oh. He says, what's the matter? I said, every sponsor I've ever had has taken it from me, this is your past, and given me a blank sheet. You're in the now, and we're going to go over this and figure out what's wrong with you. So he said, So, you're sober 25 years, and you've never admitted out loud to another alcoholic the exact nature of your wrongs. Uh, Trying to figure out a way to answer yes? No. No. He says, good, the step has been taking you for 25 years. Now you're going to take the step. He says, by the way, you just finished, it was February of last year. I, I came up and got a 25-year chip here in January of last year. And I was the guy that read uh, How It Works, and somebody yelled out in the audience. Uh, those of you who were here then uh, remember me for that for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, he said, so, how many chips did you get last month? And I said, well, let's see, uh 19 at the meetings and the gold plated one at the dinner that they gave me and three from the 23, he said. 23 chips. That's arrogance. Write that down.
0: Arrogance.
1: A, R, and C. Okay. And, uh, I read my resentment list, and he took notes, and I read my fear list, and he explained to me the only thing that would get me drunk was probably money, Um, which is what the fear list is supposed to reveal, either it's going to be women or money, it's either finance or romance. It's either one or the other, or if you're really crappy, both. Uh, And then we got to the sexual inventory, and it was a very creative, long uh, adventure ride, And basically, at the end of this graphic description of my escapades, he explained to me that I was selfish. Every sexual act that I had ever had, alone or with people, or machines, was... (laughs) I forgot where I was. Um, Was selfish. Every act was selfish. What's in it for me? Go to get... And coming out of that list, I had a new instruction I was to go to give from then on in my life, after finishing this list, I was to go to give everywhere, not just in AA, everywhere in life, to give. And uh, then I read the uh, ideal relationship to him and he, he said, it's interesting that in your ideal relationship there's no uh, mention or demand for money or sex. He said, read that again now. And I read it again, and there was no money or sex in this ideal relationship. And uh, leaving the garage, uh, he said, you're, you're now on your seventh step, and the instructions are that you get on your knees three times a day, and you ask God to remove your defects of character after you have looked them up in a dictionary, the other big book. And... Uh, I had 22 of them and I looked them up and I had long definitions for each and uh, I was to get on my knees using the seven step prayer uh, after the good and bad. I, I now ask that you remove from me arrogance, A-R-O-G-A, the inappropriate upset at another's good deed or, and there's usually five or six other explanations for arrogance and go through the list and it would take me about 10 minutes each time and during for 30 days and during this 30-day period I was to call him at 1030 at night just to let him know that I had done my three if I missed one of the three uh, or two of the three or the three I would have to go back to zero and he said he might not hear from me for a couple of years or I would be speaking to him within 35-40 days because I would have done the looking up of the definitions that usually takes a day or two, and I would start on the third day. Well, I, I finished in about 35 days, and uh, he was on the road, so I didn't get to see him until I had about 50 days. And um, on about the 45th day, I had a real bad day, a low-energy day, uh, an icky day, a mopey day. Uh, there's, there's several different definitions for me. Uh, I get neck aches and headaches, and sometimes they would get as bad as a panic attack or needing, needing to lie down. And uh, I called him at 10.30, checking in. He goes, so how was today? And I said, very icky day. And I began to explain all these symptoms. He said, so what happened? What happened today to, to start this? And I said, I don't know. I just..." Didn't. He goes, no, 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 no. What happened today? What, what is it? And it, it had to do with uh, being able to do or being asked to do or having the experience of speaking at a podium like this, with, with this type of audience, um, I had always—I uh, I was on the Unity Breakfast Committee in the East in, in Rye, and it was my job to go pick up the speaker who would come in to speak and take him out to play golf and get him his dessert and get him uh, around the golf at Wingfoot or whatever he wanted to do. Resenting it the whole time, uh, being very uncomfortable in their company uh, because nobody ever asked me to, you know, go to uh, Pittsburgh to. Speak and play golf and be able to have a dinner during the convention and be driven around and, and nobody ever asked me to do that so I would resent these people, uh, the, the, the people that would come through and be very uncomfortable in their presence and, and my defects of character would kick in and I would go into self-pity which would create pain. And he said, good, that's terrific. I'm glad you're really in pain. Here's what happened. Listen. Those of you who've not, who don't know, listen. This, and I've been sober 25 years to get to this piece of information. He says, what you have to do when you're upset, when anything's going wrong, that's why that sentence in the 10th step talks about when anything is going wrong with us, it usually starts with us. What you, what, this is him telling me what I have to do. What you have to do is to take a look at the event and figure out what the defects of character are. First of all, all these, these speakers that travel around the world who give of their time, who carry the message, uh, the, the man that I was close to was Raymond. He spoke here last year, the lawyer from New York. Uh, you have judged them. You can't judge, You can't resent them until you judge them first. Once you judge them, then you begin to resent them. So you you have judgmentalness, you have resent uh, resentment, you have arrogance, you also have jealousy, and you have envy, and you have self pity, and the combination of those things usually start a fear cloud, a fear roll, if you will, and uh, usually gets darker during the day. Right? Yeah, it gets darker during the day, and you start to get. And he started using all of my words back to me. You get icky and mopey. He goes. What you do is you stop the car if you're driving and you go through this thought process. It will be revealed to you from inside your spiritual connection. You'll be able to figure this out with a clear head and you get on your knees in traffic if you have to and you ask for those defects and you name them to be removed and ask God to remove the fear. You have control over your mind you can choose what to think i choose not to think that i choose to pray god please remove the fear how can i help and helping can be as simple as uh, going outside after this meeting and picking up butts with me because i'll be crawling around on my knees in this suit picking up cigarette butts until about eleven o'clock that's what i do here and uh... people usually step over me to get to their cars and that's what you do and, and your fear will be removed every time he said the, the first couple of days that you do this you might have to do it 15-20 times you'll be on your knees all day but if you are persistent and if you do this the defects will be removed and the fear will stop and that's my that's my experience that's the new piece of information that I was never given because I had always chosen arrogant judgmental uh, Resentment-driven uh, sponsors, so they never were able to talk to me about those things about themselves. Then, uh, after 50 days of seven-step work, back over the hill to, to his home, sitting between the cars, and we went over my list, and there was there was probably 44 people on this list, uh, and the number one guy on the list, uh, who every sponsor I had ever had suggested that I not make amends to him. Your amends is to stay out of his life. Just stay away from him. That's what you can do to help him. Just leave him alone stay out of his life. He was the first uh, uh, hero of mine. He was the first pedestal person. He was the first person that I looked up to. Uh, he was my first booking agent. Uh, he had the biggest rock and roll band in my market when I was growing up. This sponsor said you have until midnight tomorrow night Eastern Standard Time to find him and make amends to him. It was like a brick. And I, I said, okay. Uh, he says, I'm going to give you two things. Number one, this is why you have to go make amends to him. I said, tell me. I've been around a long time. Tell me. He says, do you know where he is right now? "Uh, Yeah. He said, see, you're still connected to him. Do you have phone numbers? I go, yeah, he's a bar owner, and uh, I have the phone number behind the bar and the phone number in the office and his beeper and his car phone and (laughs) and the phone numbers of the three ex-wives and his current girlfriend. He says, okay, what you can do is you can go home tonight and use all your special phone numbers. He had no time for me, really, because I always tried to uh, appear to have done a lot of sober work before meeting him, and he gave me that he goes you 've done a lot of sober work, but it 's not complete, thorough from the very start. so uh, I went home and called all my numbers and couldn 't find him left messages everywhere I figured i 'm going to New York in the morning, so I set my alarm it 's for six a m because there was a plane that left San Francisco at eight thirty a m get me into New York about five and it gave me about seven hours to find him. And uh, 5 a.m. the phone rang, and it was this man, his name is Kevin, and uh, uh, I got on my knees for a quick 10-second, uh, hello, how are you, here we go, you know, to my higher power. And I basically explained to him that uh, he's been on a pedestal all these years, he knows that, uh, he knew that I was sober in AA, he, he was around during the crash in the beginning of my new life. And... Uh, I said to him, I've I've resented you all of these years. Uh, I've judged you. I've taken your inventory. I've been jealous of all of the sexuality that you've had. Uh, I'm jealous of of your ex-wives, which is a a ninth commandment failure, uh, coveting. Uh, I'm I'm jealous and envious of your success. I've I've, uh, gossiped about you. Uh, Whenever anybody that I, I know knows you, the two of us get together, we wind up talking about you. I've criticized you. And if any of this stuff has ever gotten back to you to harm you, I hope to be forgiven. He said, you were just a pain in the ass. That's all you were. You were in my way a lot. But you were helpful. So how's California? And we started talking about the music business. We were on the phone for about 20 minutes. And it was done. And uh, took the alarm off, went back to sleep. The phone rang about 7.30. It was my sponsor. He said, so... Did you get him last night? I, go, I just got off the phone with him. He goes, Good, so you don't have to go to New York? Mm, no. Good. Uh, you got to pick one of the tour boys now. Who do you want to make amends to on the West Coast? Uh, Johnny. You know Johnny. Uh, he's been here. He, this is one of his places that he enjoys coming. Uh, Murph knows him. Uh, he's an old friend of mine. I used to pick him up at the Unity Breakfast 20 years ago. He said, so, it's uh, quarter to eight now. If uh, if you leave about 9.30, you'll be down in the L.A. area around dinner time. And you can have a nice dinner and then go to uh, whatever meeting he's in. Uh, he said, same question. Do you know where he is right now? Yeah. <laughs> where, what meeting is he going to go to tonight? Because Johnny goes to a meeting every night. The Bellflower Group, Long Beach. Good. Well, you know where he is. So goodbye. And he clicked. I get in the van and I drive down to L.A. and I eat and there he is at the meeting and I pull him out during the break and I say uh, you're on my eight step list and I've been sent here to make amends to you and uh, I've judged you and I've resented you and uh, I've gossiped about you and I've criticized you and I'm a wannabe. I've always wanted to do the speaking, the convention stuff and travel around the world and sit at the podium and have the dinner and, and uh, get to go every place and uh, I resent the fact that I've never been asked and the whole time that I picked you up at, to, to come to the Unity Breakfast and speak to us and share your experience, strength, and hope, I, I had self pity in your presence and I resented you the whole time. And if any of the gossip or the criticism has ever gotten back to you, I hope to be forgiven. And uh, he said to me, You know, I'm sober 35 years and you're the first person that's ever made amends to me. So uh, I was in Tucson. I'm, I'm participating in an, in an archival uh, journey about AA, the beginnings of AA. Uh, We have found a man who's sober 60 years uh, and he's never been to an AA meeting. He got sober in the Oxford uh, group and he's uh, in moral rearmament now. That type of thrilling stuff, history. Uh, I was down in Tucson uh, working on books and uh, Clancy came through town. So I went up, found Clancy, and did the same thing to Clancy. Uh, Clancy have a violent sponsor now. And uh, (laughs) I... Uh, I've made a new list and you're on my list and yada 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 and I hope to be forgiven. So since that time there's been a lot of freedom in my life. Uh, I'm at peace. Uh, I've done everybody on the ninth step. My ninth step is complete. I can meditate. I can sit quietly, peacefully and have the quiet time that's talked about in the little red book out of Hazelton. Uh, the, uh, the ABCs that you hear read right at the meetings Ends with the word sought He could and would if he were sought God could and would if he were sought And that's the first word of the 11th step Sought through prayer and meditation First time I heard that I thought it was Sought through prayer and medication uh, Raymond, who was here, uh, spoke uh, Got me started reading Emmet Fox He said, the Our Father is our prayer You should make it your business to study the Our Father. And you start with Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox. The Our Father is the second half of the book. If you study and read that, you'll start to have spiritual awakenings and spiritual thoughts in the meetings while you're saying the Our Father. And that's where my 11th step started. Uh, The book talks about using authors, spiritual authors, which can be suggested to us by religious people. We must see that they are right. And uh, Joel Goldsmith is another author whose, uh, whose information has uh, freed me and opened me up. Uh, I'm currently reading Og Mandino's work. If you've never read uh, Mr. Mandingo, Mandino's work, it's, he's, he's very clear and very simple. You see, I was a broken person when I came in here. I believe everybody who's new for the first six months should at least twice a week watch Mr. Rogers. Because he talks softly and gently and is, will get his point across, which is what the new person needs. Um, God's will for me is not to drink. My, my, my God is my God. You can't, as Lonnie said the other night, you can't deal with my God. You've got to find your God. That's my experience. I used to follow people and hang out with people doing what they do, hoping to get what they have. And that's not what happens. I do what they do, and they have what they have, and I get what I get, which is different than what they have, because uh, there's many mansions in, in, uh, in heaven. And I believe, uh, as we say to the Our Father, uh, whenever I'm talking to one man, uh, me being one person, talking to another person about spiritual things like uh, higher power or God or how you're doing with the concept or how do you pray and how do you meditate, he and I are in the kingdom, on earth, as it is in heaven. And... Uh, That's a new experience for me. And I do the 12 step uh, usually all day. There's uh, people on the. I spoke to everybody today. And uh, I sponsor guys uh, in the East still. I have a guy that I sponsor in Dallas and a guy I sponsor in uh, Hawaii. And three of them are here. And uh, I picked up a new man, not new to sobriety, but new to sponsorship this week. It seems that uh, people who come to me uh, have time and have nothing. So uh, it's good to uh, know that I can share that I had time and had nothing. I spent almost five years on the dark side of the steps, not doing any steps. And I've spent 21 now on the other side, and uh, I've been, been growing every day, every year. Uh, the strength of what I have to say tonight is, no matter how long you're here, there's room for growth, and you can grow more and get wider and get more spiritual and get closer to god and get more human uh, because if you can if you can get what god gives you and put it into words for the for the person who really doesn't understand you're really doing god's work